0: Be very careful, then how you live, not as unwise but wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus
1: Christ. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Elsie. Sorry we've uh, delayed you getting to your preteen class.
0: <laughs> Have fun.
1: Have fun. Uh, why do we sing? Okay, give me, uh, give me this. Give me your favorite song that when it comes on the radio, and it's not allowed to be a church song, just for now, right? So, not, not a church song. Your favorite song, when it comes on the radio, you kind of can't stop yourself singing along to it. All right, yeah? Three
0: Little Bells, Bob Marley. Bob Marley,
1: Three Little Bells. Okay, yeah, Bill? Why does it always rain on me? Why does it always rain on me? That's um, REM? No, it's Scottish uh, crew. Travis. Travis. Oh, Travis, that's it. Okay, why does it always rain on me? Yeah, Victor? Billie Jean, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson, Billie Jean. Billie Jean, what a catchy, catchy. Okay, Bill's off already. One vision, my queen. One vision. Fried chicken. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sharp. Yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, rock, rock and roll. <laughs> 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 built this city. Yeah, Ben. Um, he and I are Mr. Bruce, uh, Mr. Blue Sky. Yeah, that's a great track. Yeah, we're showing our age a little bit here, everybody. All <laughs> these tracks from the 70s, 80s. <laughs> yeah. Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson again. Yeah, Joe. Back in black. Back in black. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. there are certain songs aren't they that just get you they just, you, you perk up, you hear that song, you, you start to sing along or at least hum along or perhaps whistle or whatever, depends where you are I suppose um, but there are certain songs like that, that, just we can't stop ourselves singing and that's part of the essence of what we're talking about today is we have so much to sing about. So I'd like you to turn for a couple of minutes to the person next to you and discuss why do you think we sing as a congregation? Uh, why do we sing? Give to, the Lord. to give praise to the Lord. Okay. To enter into
0: worship.
1: To enter into worship, worship together, yeah? At the back? To so show thankfulness to God. To show I guess to express ourselves. Express ourselves, okay. Yeah, it might be inside, but expressing it, yeah? To lift the congregation. Sorry? To, the congregation. to lift the congregation as a whole. So
0: it's all those things that everybody said, but singing is a way for us to do it together, rather than separately expressing our thanks to God, worship the do possibly with the same words in unison.
1: Okay, same words together in in unison, together, together. Okay, other thoughts? I, I don't know, my question you asked well, before, I think singing does something for the soul, for the spirit inside, because that is very hard to, to articulate and explain. And I think when, when you when you want to worship God, it's almost like a natural expression, singing uh, to God. It's a natural expression of doing that, expressing the heart. and feelings. Absolutely, yeah. It can be fun. It can be fun. Nothing wrong with congregations having fun. Okay, pen Something about taking all the different voices and the different types of voices and, and working together in unity. Working together, being together, working together. Did you have something? Was that it? A- you're just scratching your head. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite sure. Uh, yeah, Bill.
0: Okay.
1: okay, a lot of the songs are based on, contain words or truths from scripture. Right. Being involved. being involved together with yeah. one another. Yeah. Okay. And
0: also, the, depending on where you are musically,
1: the whole is more than some of the parts. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The the body of sound is. Usually, more. I'm not, I'm not sure the right word is impressive, resonating. but then it resonates. Could you say resonating? Yeah. Resonating, but yeah, it does something different, doesn't it, yeah, Leon? Uh, for me, as a, a worship leader, I think so. I, I cannot stand performance. I don't like being looked at. That. I do like addressing an audience. But worship is very different. It's about working together. Um, it's about building kind of a unified thing. It's not even a unified thing. It's just very much like you giving and taking and, you know, and it, it's, it feels very constructive when you do, when, when you, when you have a good congregational song, you definitely feel everybody like we come together, you feel like you're, you're building this kind of common focus, the focus of like yourself. Right. and it's very much both God and each other, hmm. It's it's, that's what I like about, you know, congregational group singing, that's what, that's what I like. It combines a connection, a personal connection with God, and a personal connection with one another. There's very few things we do that do that, or can do, that do that. That's a really good point there. Yeah?
0: because as we worship, build your throne. And I think it's something very fun, but when we sing, um, it's not something we normally do. We don't, we speak, and we don't sing. I think when we sing, it's a, it is an act of worship, it is a talk the Bible, it's a sacrifice of praise. And the something that has a special effort, in a sense, we make to sing, and it, it's something we only do to people we consider really important. I mean I know the classics are when we're coming on the back of our house and so we sing arsenal to encourage know, encouragement. But so it's only the only two that we really respect or admire. And I think when we what when we sing to God, I mean I think something very profound happens spiritually, we can't see with our physical eyes. But last Sunday when we were singing, I was like, wow, there was something that was building in this room. Mm-hmm. Something that was very special and I know God is really working. I don't know what he's doing, but I really sense he's doing something. And I think when we sing, we, we build God's throne. Not only he needs a throne to be built, but we are setting aside. This is a place where God reigns. Thank he you. is the most important thing in this room because we are singing to him, and we get all sent out a message in the spiritual atmosphere. This is a place where God reigns, mm-hmm. and not anything else.
1: Mm, super. Thank you. Ayo.
0: I think he also commands us to sing. Mm. Carptus, okay. Walter, Ray, Tom, he
1: that he it's his idea. Yeah. Actually, that's that's a really good point. We sing because it's his idea, <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, just like I said, I think it's it's a gift that God has given us, and yeah. uh, it reminds me of you see some of these uh, documentaries. It relaxes us, calms us down. You see that sometimes people do stammer when they sing, and they don't stammer. I think it does it releases some kind of. <laughs> our uh, bodies mm-hmm. and our brains
1: that relax us and makes us open mm-hmm. and I think in worship it makes us open to, to God and open to, I guess, our spirituals and uh, states. Fabulous, fabulous. It opens us up in some ways. There's a lot of rich uh, wisdom in a in uh, discussions here, so thank you for all of that, and that's going to go in my next paper. So, um, thank you for helping me to write that. Uh, excellent, it's my master plan. Um, that's it, it's good research. Um, so, now this, this is excellent, and I hope today and next week to give us, I think, I hope a bit more of God's perspective on why he knows it's a good idea for us to sing together. He knows that. He wouldn't command it otherwise. I hope it'll create a bit more depth in our singing, I mean, in our personal experience and our collective experience. Um, In the Watford Word this week, I've written some notes about Colossians 3, which we will look at next week. In last week's Watford Word, I wrote some notes about this passage in Ephesians 5. And if you didn't get a copy of last week's, I think there are some more, some leftovers at the back. Simon's pointing to them now. So you can get copies there uh, if you didn't get it, or I can email it to you if you ask me to, if I haven't already done so. So I've done that because I can't possibly cover uh, everything we could talk about, about these two very important passages about congregational singing uh, in what we're going to do today. But let's, let's rattle on through a few points now, and uh, then we'll see where, where we land with all of that. So, first of all, let's make sure we understand what uh, Paul is on about when he commands us in that passage in Ephesians 5 to sing, to sing songs from the Spirit, to sing and make music from your heart. What is he actually on about in that passage or in Colossians 3 for next week, where we teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through heart psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. So what? is he talking about here? Well, one of the things we see from the New Testament, although there are very few passages teaching about singing, and these two are the main ones, nonetheless the significance of them is high because of what's the context of them all, and also one other passage would be 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, Paul's talking to the Corinthian church and he says, when you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. The thing I think that's interesting there in particular, because there are problems in Corinth, which we haven't got time to go into, but the problem is not that everybody has these things to bring to a congregational gathering. The problem is they're not using them well. That's the problem. But he assumes that the idea of somebody turning up to church with a hymn could be any of us. That's a normal thing. Oh, I've got a hymn for us to sing today. I made one up this week or I found one, or me and a few friends got together and put this hymn together. Can we sing it today? I mean, that's a normal idea in the church in Corinth. It's a really interesting thing uh, that we see. The singing is assumed, and singing is connected with being filled with the Spirit. Uh, Back in Ephesians there, uh, be filled with the Spirit, he says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Now, he's writing to Christians. Aren't they already filled with the Spirit? They've already, received the, uh, they've already been baptized, they've received the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, as it talks about in Acts chapter 2. So they are already filled with the necessary spirit to be saved. So he's saying something a bit different here. He's saying something about the way we live. He's saying live out the Spirit's life. And that's why he spends all the time correcting their behavior, which we'll talk about maybe a little bit today, and a little bit perhaps another time. They are to be refilled or refreshed to be reminded, to be renewed in their minds about the Spirit, to re a Christ-like attitude that they might have lost during the week. And I don't know about you, but occasionally during the week, I lose my Christian mind. I lose my Christian heart. And I need it to be refreshed. And a part of that is our personal devotional times. It's crucial, day to day. But part of it is coming together to be filled with the Spirit, and singing is part of that. He commands it, and it's clear that it's uh, singing together. So what is singing in this context? Singing is not about finding the right genre for your songs. As we uh, talked about our favourite songs here earlier, there was some variety. We had some reggae, we had some rock, we had some pop, we had uh, various kinds, right? Um, There's no one right way or a type of song to sing in a church service. I dare say most of us have a preference. We prefer the choruses, we prefer the worship songs, we prefer the older hymns, we prefer whatever. But there is no one right genre because the Bible doesn't say sing in this style. Yeah. There's nothing about that. It's sing, it's sing with, with your heart, sing with gratitude, sing to it's singing. Singing is what's commanded, not particular kinds of songs. We don't need instruments necessarily. We don't need backing tracks. We don't need amplification. We need to sing. That's all we need. And that's all they had. And that's all it appears they did. Singing is not about musical. Excellence, it's not about your voice, what you think of it, or what somebody else told you, what they thought of your voice, probably not very complimentary at some point. It's it's not about someone's opinion of your voice, it's not about your opinion of your voice. It's not about whether our guitarists, or myself on the ancient piano over there, uh, play all the right notes in all the right order, uh, or anything. It's not about that, it's about singing. We're commanded to sing. It's not about excellence. It's not dependent on those who have musical training or outstanding musical gifts. This command doesn't apply only if you have somebody who's a trained musician. And the commands and the opportunities to sing are there for all people in all circumstances. What do we know from this passage? We know that singing is at least these things. It's speaking to one another in song. We speak to one another in fellowship and in other ways, but we are now speaking to one another, is, as the command is, in song. Singing is from the heart. In other words, not just the head, and certainly not just the voice spouting out the words in the right order. Singing is to the Lord. It's not to please somebody else, not so that everybody will look at us, it's not so that somebody will uh, uh, think well of us, because if we aren't singing, they'll think badly of us. It's not about anybody else. It's singing to the Lord, it's giving thanks. It's a thankful attitude that makes singing in the spirit meaningful. And it is singing in the name of Jesus. It is Christ-focused. It's not about us, personally. Not even about our congregation. Some of that comes in from time to time in some songs, that's appropriate. But ultimately, all of it is about Jesus. That's what singing is. So to broaden this out a little bit, I'd like us to look at one of the themes of the book of Ephesians that I think connects with what Paul is talking about here when he commands us to sing. And that has to do with the temple. This is a mock-up of what the tabernacle would have looked like. You read about the tabernacle in the Old Testament, it would have looked something uh, rather like that. And we find in, um, let's see if we've got these scriptures in here. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, if we go back there a moment, at the end of chapter 2, marvellous uh, Marvelous description of what the church actually is. At the end of Ephesians 2, he says, Consequently, and this is about having been brought together in Christ, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. We have some foreigners amongst us, do we? Uh, in one sense or another. There are no foreigners, not in God's church. No foreigners and strangers or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his, God's, household. Built "...on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building..." He's talking about the church here, not that tabernacle, and not the bricks around us. "...the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple." You see this theme here in Ephesians? It's there. You want to read the rest of the book of Ephesians and look at this temple-building theme. "...you are a, a holy temple in the Lord, and in him you too..." Are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. You see the Spirit reference there. We have that back in Ephesians 5, right? Being filled with the Spirit by teaching one another in song and speaking to one another in song. The Spirit is what makes the temple the place of God. Uh, That tabernacle, it says in Exodus 40 that Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard, and so Moses finished the works, and now the tabernacle is ready for the first time. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, that's the tabernacle, and the glory, the kabod in the Hebrew, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God had come, in a sense, to dwell with his people. And dwelling is very important in this passage and also in the Colossians uh, passage where it talks about a dwelling richly in Christ, but that's in Colossians. We'll come back to that another time. God came to dwell with his people. Now, of course, he didn't really live in the tent in the sense that a human would, but his glory was there to be a resource and a reassurance for Israel, I am with you, and to be a light, to be evidence to the world, that he was God and he was with his people, God's glory in that tabernacle, and then later, in the temple. This is roughly what Solomon's temple might have looked like when the temple was built in the time of David, De- well after David, and in the time of Solomon. And when Solomon had finished praying, as the temple is being uh, uh, is being commissioned, in, in, I suppose you could say, he's finished praying. Fire comes down from heaven, consumes the burnt offerings and the sacrifice, and the glory, the kabod, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Just like the the tabernacle, now the temple. The priests couldn't enter before Moses, now it's the priests, because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, and I guess filling it, they knelt on the pavement, and I think you and I would do the same, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. They are seeing God's presence again with them in uh, this temple. Uh, you may be familiar with the term Shekinah. Uh, that's a phrase that's often used for the glory of the Lord. It's not actually in the Old Testament. It's a word that was used, uh, came into use later in israel Israelite history but it has the idea that word checking of to to dwell to abide to settle down you know this is where we want god we pray and hope that in our congregational setting here that god will dwell here in a way that's meaningful to us that he will abide here that he will settle with us and this is all part of why we sing we'll come on to this in more detail in a moment but it's all connected now that's that's the um that the glory of God being with the Israelites in the tabernacle, in the temple, uh, and in fact, he. some people would say that he, that glory was with the Israelites while they were in exile, though they were in exile. Some people say that once the exile happened, uh, the glory of God went back to heaven, and some people think that the glory of God is at the Wailing Wall in west, part, the west part of Jerusalem, the west wall. However, where is the glory of God now? What happened after the temple? Well, in the time of Herod, so Herod's temple, looked a bit like that picture on the right there. In the time of Herod, skipping one, there we go, we have Jesus. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling. See that word there, dwelling, again? The dwelling is among us, not in a temple, not in a tabernacle. We have seen his glory, it's the same, it's the glory of God. The glory is in Christ, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Jesus himself talks about himself as the temple here, when he says to the people opposing him, destroy this temple, I'll raise it again in three days, they think he means the Herodian temple, it he, uh, took 46 years to build, that's what he's talking about, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. So the glory of God was, in a sense, present in the tabernacle, then in the temple, and then the glory of God is made manifest and evident to us and the world in Christ. But Christ is no longer here. So where is the glory of God now? I mean, Christ is with us Spiritually because he's in the heavens and he He still lives to intercede for us, but where is uh, he now? Well, he is is in his church, the glory is in his church. Ephesians 1, talking about Jesus, it says that God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body. We are the Christ's, Christ's body, the fullness of him who fills everything, What did the glory do? It filled the tabernacle. What did it do? It filled the temple. What did it do? It filled Jesus. And what does the Spirit do now? What does the glory of God do now? It fills us. Us. Collectively. Certainly any of us who have the Spirit of Christ have that in us too, personally, but there's something about coming together as a body. His body, His body is the church. And we're filled with all of what He had available to us today. His glory is indeed indeed ours. Also in chapter 2, we read earlier, already, from verse 19 to 22, no longer these strangers, no longer the aliens, we wouldn't have been allowed in the tabernacle or the temple unless you were Jewish, but no, now, with Christ as the cornerstone of this new building, what this building, what is that building? It is his body, his body, the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, and that building is being joined together and rising to become a holy temple. We are collectively a temple in the Lord being built together, that dwelling in which he lives in his spirit. In chapter 3, famous passage for many of us. We, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him, to Christ be, glory in the church. Glory is in the church. God's glory is in that church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, ever and ever. And the church said, I meant to that, right? we have the glory of Christ in us together in other words God lives here how do we get that? Uh, it's because we are spirit guaranteed people Uh, Ephesians 1 we haven't got time to go into this but the spirit guarantees our inheritance we are meant to be in this body so therefore what do we do? since God lives here in a way God lives amongst us, in us what, what does that mean? Well it means passages like Ephesians 4 as Paul has made his point to the Ephesians you are the temple, you have the glory in you how should you then live? Well live completely humbly live gently live patiently with one another bear with one another in love and make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit because the spirit wasn't divided in the temple or the tabernacle the spirit wasn't divided in Jesus the spirit should not be divided in Christ's present day body his body on earth Keep that unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, the the church. There's one spirit. There's one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. This is how we are meant to live. And a key part of that is singing together. This is such a strange thing in a way. Isn't it? He goes from talking about these big themes of the the nature of Christ and how he fills everything and and how we are now that temple and we have the spirit. And then he says, don't get drunk on wine as it leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit, filled with the spirit as you know you can be and should be and are meant to be and filling each other up with the spirit so that you become the glory of God visible to the world. Do that by speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, Songs from the Spirit, or spiritual songs, sing. Make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What an interesting thing. So I would suggest this, at least for the time that we have today, and uh, the limits we have, uh, and what we can talk about, is that there's something, something critical about singing together, and spiritual unity, a unity that is truly spiritual, not a unity that is, that is created on some level by being in the same building, not a unity created by being in a particular denomination, not a unity based on thinking the same about everything to do with the Christian faith and, and the Christian life in, non, in disputable matters. Not a unity based on we all value the same things, like the same things, we're the same age, or the same background. Not a unity created by any of those things because a unity created by those things is a fragile and superficial unity. But a true spiritual unity. A true spiritual unity has something to do with singing. And it has something to do with being created by singing together and something to do with being expressed by singing together. And I don't know quite the balance of which comes first, chicken and egg, something. Is it the unity that creates the desire to sing, or is it the singing that creates the spiritual unity? Maybe we don't have to decide if it's one or the other. But there's some connection between singing together and unity. And this is why, if I may say it this way, without trying to be too demanding, I really do think every Christian must sing. I really don't think we have a choice. And how we sing is a completely different matter, whether we sing quietly or loudly, whether we sing in tune or not. It goes beyond whether we like the songs. Now, I think if we sing songs every Sunday that all of us hate, that's a problem. So we can work on that, because there are plenty of songs to choose from, right? How many thousands of Christian songs are there? There is enough we can find, enough that we can, most of us like most of the time. So we don't have to worry about that particularly. But I think we must sing. You say, well, I'm not a singer. You don't have to be a singer. You just need to sing. You don't have to please anybody else except God. But there's something about singing together. It's really hard. (laughs) It's really hard to feel malevolent thoughts against somebody who's standing next to you who's singing the same songs about God as you. That's really hard. Maybe you want to try it. Find someone you have malevolent thoughts about. Stand next to them. (laughs) (laughs) No, maybe don't do that, but who's Danny thinking of? Uh, It's really hard to do that, and I think there's something about singing together that helps to melt those barriers. When you understand why we sing and what we're singing about, and it's an expression of being the temple, the fullness of Christ. And I think it's particularly significant in terms of unity because of some of the things he talks about in that earlier passage in Ephesians. Why do they need to be completely humble and gentle? Why do they need to be patient? Why do they need to bear with each other? Making every effort to keep the unity. Because it's hard. Unity is hard. And Paul commands these good first century Christians who knew him personally and probably have met some of the apostles, and they're struggling with unity. No wonder we do. You'll notice that in, um, in the passage... In Ephesians 4, we have this as well. Yeah, Putting off falsehood, speaking truthfully to your neighbour. We're all members of one body, he says. Remember that? In your anger, don't sin. This is used sometimes to talk about how in marriage we shouldn't let our anger, you know, fine. But that's, this is about church. This is about not letting our anger here get to this point of sin. Don't let the sun go down. Don't deal with it. Uh, do not give the devil a foothold. If you've been stealing, steal no longer. Maybe he's talking about stealing amongst Christians here. Maybe. You've got to work. Do something useful. Share with people in need. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only what's helpful for building... You see that building thing again? Temple building? Building each other up? Uh, Joe, thanks for what you did at the beginning. Building. Building others up according to their needs. Benefiting those who listen. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. How might we do that? By factioning ourselves. By being divisive. By holding on to grudges. Don't grieve Him. You were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all the bitterness. Get rid of the rage and the anger. The brawling, the slander. Oh, my goodness. What kind of church service was going on there? Every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as in Christ. God forgave you. You know, uh, sorry about the small text uh, there. But that goes back to chapter 2, where Paul is reminding them of what God has done. And I'll summarize by saying. By the cross, he brought the two to become one. And in that context, he's talking about Jew and Gentile. And of course, those two groups represent the whole of humanity. He's brought the two together, abolished the barrier, brought the two together. And that's why we are this holy household, this temple being built up, a dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. We are meant to be one. In uh, in chapter five, going back to chapter five. I think it's really interesting that after he's talked about singing and speaking uh, to one another uh, in song and making music from your heart and giving thanks to God, the next verse is a new paragraph in my Bible. But you know in the, uh, the original manuscripts there are no verses and there are no paragraphs. And it's a bit arbitrary sometimes where you draw a new paragraph or a new sentence or a new line. And after he said, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the next bit is, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I think singing does that. Because sometimes we sing songs that, you know, are not my favourites. But I can submit to the fact that other people find them valuable. And when we sing together, we're really submitting to one another. As we sing together together as I stand next to my brother or sister in Christ, I'm submitting to your singing, and hope maybe you're submitting to mine. And we hear each other sing, and we delight in each other's singing. We submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. It's, again, a spiritual unity. At the end of chapter, uh, sorry, partly, part, partway through chapter 1, he says, With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will. That's what God did according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring, and why did God do all this? Why did God create the world? Why has he been patient for millennia? Why, has he, why did he choose Israel? Why 2,000 years later did Christ come? Why 2,000 years later are we still here? What is he hoping for? What is God's aim? What is God's dream? Why do we exist as a congregation? To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ so that God's dream of unity of all peoples can be achieved and people can live in harmony. And people who don't have this can see it, hopefully admire it, hopefully be drawn to it, hopefully seek what what creates it and find the life that we have the body of Christ, the temple, the glory in us. Not our glory, Christ's glory. God has always wanted to make the two one. Why are we together? This rather unexpected situation we find ourselves in with the Watford Church of Christ and the West Watford Free Church. I, don't, I honestly don't know why exactly, but I pray that we might live this out, at least. Make the two one, somehow, in some way. Find the right unity. Find the right basis of our unity. And strange though it may seem, singing has a lot to do with that. This is not a throwaway comment. The Apostle Paul didn't write throwaway comments in his letters when he was dealing with doctrine and church practice. But he puts this in, deliberately, because he knows how much unity is needed in Ephesus, He knows how much unity is a challenge for all of us. And he says, don't give in to the old way of life. Don't get drunk. Don't be debaucherous. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, in a moment, Ava's going to come up and pray for us before we take bread and wine. And I might remind us that at the Last Supper, when Jesus was with his disciples, they had a Passover meal. They would have sung at that meal. And after the supper is over, they go out, and it says they sang a hymn together. Jesus was a singer, in a way. And his disciples formed with him, some kind of disciples' choir. (laughs) And they sang together. And the symbols of the body and blood of Christ we're going to take right now remind us of what's created the unity that we can celebrate and sing about. We have unity in Christ because he went to the cross, willingly, gave us his body and his blood, and so we have new life. And we have new life, my friends, (laughs) We have a new life, which we maybe sometimes all take a little for granted, and forget how fortunate we are, that we have the spirit, and that we have the spirit, and we are a temple filled with the glory of God, especially, I think, when we sing together. Ava, would you like to come up, please, and please come and pray for us on our behalf, and then we'll take bread one.